What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Real Talk NFT Podcast. Super excited today to have a special guest on. We have Eric Mendelson here from One Of, but not only that, he wears many hats as I saw as I saw in his bio. So I'm gonna let yourself introduce, you know, One Of yourself because you, you wear a lot of hats. You are, you have a music app. You are a crypto licensed broker. I don't even know where to start. So how about Eric? You just kick us off. Uh, yeah, uh, Eric Mendelson. Uh, at first and foremost, I'm a recovering uh, music executive. So I made my early career in the music industry. Uh, got into technology around seven or eight years ago. Uh, one TechCrunch TechCrunch disrupt in New York City for my music application. Uh, launched probably one of the first social tokens that were going to re- that was going to reward musicians and fans, fans for discovering content, musicians for creating content. That was around 2017, 2018. And then I guess at the start of COVID, I was very instrumental in some of the earliest music NFT releases, uh, specifically Tory Lanez, Currency, Takashi69. Mm. This was this was when people were just starting to learn about NFTs, uh, like the masses were starting to learn about NFTs. And Tory Lanez was the biggest like hip hop artist at the time to ever release an NFT. And we sold uh, you know half a million dollars worth of NFTs under 90 mm. seconds uh, at that time. Every record label and publisher and artist that was basically laughing at me in 2017 and 2018 for talking to them about social tokens and NFTs were calling me back for meetings in their office Mm -hmm. uh, because they wanted me to consult with them about NFT drops for their own artist. Uh, And I passed on all of those uh, consulting opportunities or job opportunities. And after I did those first three drops uh, as an advisor for Bondly Finance, uh, which is now called Forge, which is an Animoco brand's company. I was hired by one of um, to run their blockchain business development strategies uh, because there's very few people in the world that have the experience that I do on the music side as a music executive and now on the on the blockchain Web3 side. So I head up blockchain business development strategies at one of, yeah. uh, which is a, an NFT platform uh, and strategy company that, that raised over $70 million uh, as a startup and we're, uh, we're making waves in the industry. How, how did you have the foresight, and you coming from the music exec world, is that, how, how did you get the foresight to see that social tokens, music, NFTs were going to be a hit, especially for artists? I generated over $20 million in the music industry for artists mm. that I managed or signed, and I've received royalty checks that maybe accounted for $100,000. So the music wow. industry is historically an opaque, opaque industry where strategic accounting is part of their business practice, practices, i.e. Mm-hmm. ripping off artists as part of their business practices. So when I discovered blockchain technology around 2015 and 2016, I went down that rabbit hole that we all, that we all do. And I looked at what problems can blockchain solve for the world, uh, and I was obviously blown away by it. But then more granularly, I took a look at what can it solve, what pain points could it solve for the music industry as it, as it relates to transparency, artist remuneration, et cetera. And then even more granular than that, as I said at the time, I was building a music application and I was trying to see how I can fit this in, if it made sense to fit it into my structure. And what I realized at the time, this was in 2016, 2017, was that, uh, and now we all know this, but we provide our data to these large social platforms and we get a free service. Some of us like this free service, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, et cetera. Some of us don't. Uh, regardless of your opinions mm-hmm. of whether you like the service or not, one thing uh, holds true is that we are the product of these services and they use their data and they make billions of dollars and in return give us a free service. And I looked at blockchain and social tokens as a way for the user that helps to grow these platforms, that contributes to the network effects of these platforms to be compensated a little bit. 
So if Facebook told me tomorrow, Eric, I'm going to make $5,000 off of your data, but I'm going to give you $500 of that, mm. I'm okay. I, I probably will be okay with that because I know they, they disclose how much they're making off my data. They're saying, here's a little piece, not the whole piece. We're still a company. We still have to operate, but we're going to give you a little piece for being a part of this ecosystem. So to me, that is the biggest promise that blockchain technology has uh, for applications and for the music industry is the ability to reward fans for discovering content, the ability to reward creators for creating that content, and so that these these applications can live holistically uh, with with the ecosystems that 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 help drive their their communities or help help drive the profitability of their companies. Um, I believe that NFTs are just the start of this process. I think that NFTs have been an easy way for the mm -hmm. layperson to understand maybe what smart contracts are, like take a look at what the utilities of smart contracts are. And I think that NFTs are the easiest way to drive adoption for the layperson who is not in the Web3 space currently. And that's one of objective is to drive the next 100 million new users into this space through an onboarding process that's less than two minutes whether, where they can use their credit card or PayPal to buy NFTs. And uh, I believe that we are the simplest on-ramp for Web2, uh, non-Web3 native users to come on to the Web3 space. And once we hit that out of the park, there's no telling where this space can go. Yeah, that, that's amazing. The, one of the first signs of adoption that I've been seeing recently is bigger brands coming on board and Starbucks being the, one of the biggest tenants onboarding close to 24 million people uh, already onto their loyalty program and, and slowly onboarding the new Web3 members uh, onto their space. So yeah, platforms like yourself definitely are one of the drivers here and very, very important. Uh, and I remember one of did one of the first launches that I've ever seen in NFT space with a notorious BIG. So I definitely remember that uh, a while back, actually. How long has it been now? Uh, what, the notorious BIG project? Uh, one of. Oh, one of uh, a little over a year and a half. A little over a year and a half is when one of uh, came, 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 into, came into the world here. So one of focuses right now primarily on music, sports, and lifestyle. How did you pick that? Are you going to branch into other things in the future? One of half of one of's company when we started came from the music industry, including myself. Mm. Uh, what people may or may not know this, but we're partially owned by Quincy Jones, who is easily the biggest music producer oh, wow. in the world. Yeah. Uh, so Quincy Jones is not only a partner in the company, he's also an investor in the company. So we have Quincy Jones Productions as a partner in one of, uh, based in LA, doing all of our music-related deals. Uh, and the CEO, uh, Lindai, also comes from the music industry, as do I, as as do both of our co-founders, Josh James and, and, and Adam, um, who Adam runs Quincy Jones Productions and Quincy Jones Family Office. So we have our base and our roots. We're, we're in music. Uh, after, after we launched music, we quickly realized that we couldn't, we weren't going to have a scalable, a completely scalable business just doing music. So we got into sports. And what we're what we've mm -hmm. realized now is we're going to be more selective with what IP related drops we do, both on the music and sports side. Uh, because as you mentioned, you know, with Starbucks, uh, we're we're really heavily getting into the brand space, offering solutions that for brands that make it easy for their customers uh, via their membership loyalty programs to come into the Web three space without disrupting what these Web two based companies are already doing, without without making the process 
too complicated because again, we are the simplest software solution for for an NFT marketplace uh, in the world, in my in my opinion. And we also have a, a really robust team that can execute strategy, uh, which is also part of my, my part of my responsibility. Uh, before Starbucks made their their announcement, we announced our uh, collaboration with eBay. Uh, which is easily mm. one of the biggest That's Web2 right. legacy companies. I think they have 170 million users or something like that. And we also recently have partnered with American Express. So American Express uh, led the led an investment in our reach in, in our recent round, uh, which I was a part of, and very very proud to have executed that deal. And we are also uh, somewhat of a software partner uh, with Amex as they come into this uh, Web3 space. Uh, we're obviously under NDAs with certain things that we're doing with Amex, uh, but uh-huh. I will say, but I will say overall with brands, we are really looking heavily into their loyalty and membership clubs and figuring out ways that our software and our team strategy can kind of fulfill a hole in their in their workforce uh, and provide them with the expertise in this space that they may lack. Uh, so in, in 20, in tail, the tail end of this year, moving into 2023, we, have a re, we are really brand focused uh, in helping those brands come into this space. I was going to say, if you had any alpha on American Express, because I have four American Express cards and I would absolutely love some NFT integration and activations with them because I spend so much <laughs> with them. So I imagine there would be some fun stuff coming along because they already curate experiences and have connections with hotels and whatnot. I, man, the, the world's like the oyster in, in that aspect. You know, yeah, again, I can't re- talk really too much about what we're doing. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised and I will send the executives at Amex uh, this interview and your comment. <laughs> so I do appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I, I believe that Abra uh, announced a credit card partnership with Amex, which I signed up for early. So I'm really oh. looking forward to uh, the Abra credit card on Amex, hopefully that comes to fruition. Um, that would be pretty. That would be pretty amazing. I also believe that uh, that American Express invested into Abra probably in 2016, 17, or or 2018. So American Express has been it playing around a little bit in the in the blockchain space with with some of their investments. I believe that were were their most recent investment. Um, so I think that Amex customers will be pleasantly surprised about uh, the progressive thought process and nature that Amex is taking in this space. That makes it right for their customers and their cardholders. That that's amazing to hear and to see in the space that finally. What from when you learned about crypto back in what 2015 16 that adoption is actually through NFTs, right? It's, adoption is not through cryptocurrency as one might have thought. I'm super excited to finally see some sort of activation with the average person through a Starbucks app or even American Express app in the future. Uh, you, so my question is this: You were well, let, 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 sorry. Go ahead. This, yeah, let me say this before you make you ask your question. You, that was actually a really good point that you made. I mean, there. there it, it's there's kind it's kind of two separate worlds that kind of inter, intersect at at certain points. Mm-hmm. I come from the crypto space, right? Before there was NFTs, I was buying crypto. I'm a crypto degenerate now. I'm an NFT degenerate, so I'm just an overall degenerate. <laughs> but uh, you, you know, <laughs> one of because we are like an easy easy to use fiat on ramping platform. Uh, I, I believe over ninety percent of our customers. Their first NFT purchase is on the one-off platform because of our ease of use. Those customers, for the most part, do not own cryptocurrency, whereas right. my friends who come from the crypto space are heavily in crypto, and some of them have now come into the NFT space. So there, is, so it, it's always unique when I find, the, and a lot of them are again our customers. When we have, when I when I talk to NFT degenerates or NFT collectors who own no crypto, uh, because. I, I would assume or a layperson may assume that, oh, they're buying NFTs because they've been in Web, Web3 early. They've been in crypto very early. And this is just a, 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 an easy um, 
progression for them to just collect NFTs. And what we're seeing is that that's, at least for our customer base, that's not necessarily the case. I don't know how it is on OpenSea or Wearable or, or some of the other NFT marketplaces out there. But for our customers, where we're trying to bring on those lay people, um, those non-crypto savvy users, they don't have crypto. They, a lot of them don't even really care about it. Um, I do, uh, but many of our customers do not. So it's an interesting uh, intersection of personalities that, that we see. Yeah, I'm excited for it because these are one of the things that crypto heads been wanting for a long time, right? And we're seeing it through NFTs. Uh, so my question is, you you have insight unlike any other platform. You work directly with musicians and brands intimately. The collaborations that you've done already, I've seen is pretty exclusive and intimate, uh, specifically with one with Doja Cat, for example. You, have, you can get access to one of her concerts and more so you are offered a chance if you have one of the more rare NFTs to get a JBL product every single year. Is that in perpetuity? Did I read that correctly? Yeah. Again, we, we didn't execute the, G, the deal with JBL uh, per se. That, that came, I believe, from Doja Cat's, from Doja Cat's oh. team. But yeah, you, you read that correctly. I mean, in addition to Doja Cat, we obviously worked with the Whitney Houston estate. Uh, one project that I was intimately involved in was the Biggie Smalls Notorious B.I.G. collection that we just did. Uh, we worked we worked uh, closely uh, with with his with his mother and 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 Biggie's uh, manager. Um, so that was you know we worked with Valletta Wallace. That that was a, a remarkable experience for our team. In my opinion, Biggie is the biggest rapper of all time. Uh, I grew up in New mm-hmm. York City. It was a complete honor to work on that project. And from that project, we were able to create a DAO. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware or if you own a Biggie, but we created a collective around that that um, uh, PFP project. So we released 3,000 Biggie NFTs and we created the Sky's the Limit collective, you know, after mm. his popular song, Sky's the Limit. And we have ownership or the collective ha- now has ownership over Biggie's first recorded rap ever, which is the Fulton Freestyle wow. in a lot of his documentaries. So the collective has ownership of that record. And when that record generates licensing royalties uh, by other musicians sampling it or using it, that money comes back into the collective and then the collective gets to decide essentially a DAO structure. They get to decide what to do with those funds uh, specifically in the Web3 space. So they can buy cryptocurrency with it. They can buy metaverse property with it. They, they, can, they can reinvest that money, so to speak, metaverse or Web3 initiatives. They can't distribute that money to themselves uh, for, for legal reasons. But we're really happy to we're really happy to launch that, and I believe that that's going to set a precedent of what other musicians can do or what other estates can do. Uh, you mentioned at the start, like Eric, how did you know? Uh, I believe I, I'm a futurist. I, I see six months to a year past where everyone sees. Sometimes even two years past where everyone sees. And I believe like what we're doing with the Biggie, the Sky's the Limit Collective, the Biggie Smalls Collective. I believe that that's where the space is going to be in, in six months to a year from now. So I'm really proud that one of decided to, to execute that initiative, which we're still in the process of doing. Uh, in addition to the, in addition to Biggie, we've worked with Glow Gang, Chief Keef. Um, we've worked with a lot. Like right now, we're a curated marketplace, meaning all of the projects, both on the sports side, working with Muhammad Ali. Jerry Rice, Emmett Smith, uh, Michael Phelps, and then on the music side, which we mentioned some of the some of the artists we work with on the music side, all of those projects come through our, our, our you know our music or sports partnerships division, uh, my, myself included. What we're going to be, what we're going to release, I believe, in the first quarter of 2023, which I'm also excited about, is a self minting platform where uh, mm. artists have the ability to mint uh, on one of for free uh, via the Polygon uh, blockchain. Uh, without having to spend any money for for the first few mints that they for the first few mints that they do, uh, so 
So for me, that's going to bring more adoption, uh, hopefully more users onto our platform. Now, these individuals may not get the white glove approach that we offer a Biggie Estate or a, Do or a Doja Cat or a Whitney Houston Estate. But if we see these artists and these creators bubbling up on our self-minting system, then myself or any one of our other team members could always reach out to them and do a bigger partnership deal where we try to push their project uh, to the masses. Uh, at the very least, they will have access to our robust Discord community, which I believe is like 25,000 strong right now. So mm -hmm. they'll already have, the, the, these artists that are self mending on our platform will already have the ability to promote their projects to our already robust community, uh, which I think is a really strong value proposition as we move into 2023. Uh, especially, by the way, especially, especially as other marketplaces uh, call, are calling into question like royalties for secondary sales, which is one of is a big proponent of making sure the creators come first in all of our deals and everything that we do. And I don't see us getting rid of secondary royalty, a sharing of secondary royalty sales ever. Um, that's that's not where our company is built on creators and artists first. I, I completely agree. I think royalties are should be here to stay definitely for the creators and also in the future for the community because now they could play a part, which they've never been able to do, as you mentioned with the DAO. And I actually got goosebumps when you're talking about the DAO because that's just an inkling of what future utility that can happen, just usage of the first uh, first rights of uh, generated from the, the rap song from Biggie, which I'm a big fan of, by the way. I'm an 80s baby. I grew up with uh, Tupac and Biggie Small. So as even though I'm in the West Coast, I, yeah, I love him. He's amazing. And I've seen other platforms like Royal and Legend come out, but you guys, that's the first time I heard of a DAO forming uh, off of a, um, a Biggie Smalls question. That's amazing. So you being a futurist, that was actually one of my questions. Uh, the DAO being one of the biggest utilities that you see, have you or a brand that you work with mentioned any activations or creative utility for NFTs that you can't, that you can't even um, disclose to us at all? So... Can't disclose any of the ongoing conversations that we're having with clients, brands, and artists, but I will discuss where I think what I think uh, you know the NFT space is heading in 2023. Um, obviously, I mentioned the the community DAO that we have set up around the rights of this Biggie Smalls exclusive record, his first uh, I think first recording of him rapping ever, uh, which is pretty unique. This is just a starting point of fractional. Uh, ownership of music mm. rights of songs, uh, or it could be fractional ownership of fine art. Basically, creating fractional ownership of Ill current illiquid assets. There's only about five or six investors, and these are multi-billion-dollar companies that invest in music rights because they have the the, the balance sheet to buy catalogs. They have the balance sheet to invest uh. in the music rights of artists, and these are typically artists that already have a seven or eight-year history of royalties or five-plus-year history of royalties. These, are, these these funds are not usually set up for developing artists, and but there are there are artists that may not have three, you know, five plus years of, of royalty history, um, or there may be investors that want to invest in music rights, but they don't have a billion dollars on their balance sheet. So I'm really excited that I believe, you know, one of will figure out how to fractionalize the ownership of songs so that we can make these illiquid assets liquid so that community members, uh, this would, I believe, be some sort of a, a registered security. Uh, don't quote me on this. I'm not, not a lawyer, so not people <laughs> Or financial advice, but we'll we'll be able to open up these opportunities um, to a to a to a global to a global buyer pool where right now that buyer pool is only five or six major major companies, and we as the lay people have no access to that. So I'm really bullish on that. I'm also really bullish that we are in the process of developing a, a Web three game. Um, 
may be play to mm. earn, may not be play to earn. Play to earn may have may have run its course. Uh, I, we'll see. Um, but I, I believe that being able to own ad, and I'm not a gamer, but my son who spends you know daddy's three hundred dollars a week on Fortnite skins just driving me nuts. Oh my I gosh! Just, <laughs> shut off my credit card. But regardless of me shutting off his credit card, I, I say you know my son's name is Tristan. I say Tristan, these these this Travis Scott skin that you bought to you know mm-hmm. are you able to, are you able to resell it. Does it give you any? Does it give you any like value in in the game? Do you play better in the games? Like no, daddy, I just want it because I'm cool and my friends have it. Well, my son can still be cool and his friends can still have it. But with Web three assets that are owned by the user, there there's now a secondary market where where my well my son is done playing with that Travis Scott Fortnite skin, which by the way he hasn't played with in like a year. <laughs> uh, he can now take that mm-hmm. Travis Scott skin and sell it to someone else who may not have been able to get it at the time or who may want it as a collectible item. So I think that Web3 NFTs are going to create a collectible and secondary market for in-game items which are owned by the user uh, and not owned necessarily by the publisher that has a tradable secondary market. So those are kind of the areas that I'm really focused on as well as the digital space. I mean I know that there's been plenty of projects that have Mm -hmm. done digital collaborations. I'm, I'm... I was actually reluctant to buy NFTs because I was like, I kind of want the physical piece. Like the art is fantastic. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Trevor Jones, um, Tristan Eden. Like I love their art. I love, I love Trevor Jones art. I love Tristan Eden's art. In fact, one of my friends is supposed to be sending me one of their NFTs today so I could print it out. But there you go. I have to print it out. I want to print out Tristan Eden's art. I want to print out um, Trevor Jones art because I want it on my wall. I don't just necessarily want it on my Mm -hmm. laptop or or my phone because the art is just fa- uh, fantastic. So when we can when we can bridge that gap between the physical and the digital, and we come up with digital, fidget, I think that that's going to be uh, a very big trend in 2023. Also, uh, we just saw you know the Board Apes announced a partnership with Timex. I think a Timex, Timex yep. watch is. I think it's like fifty or hundred bucks to buy a Timex watch, but with the Board Ape collaboration, it's like two thousand bucks or two or three ETH Oof. right now. So that just shows you the power of the, when the physical and the digital uh, collaborate. And and I know that those watches will will more than likely sell out. Um, I was at a conference recently where I saw this Board Ape, uh, you know, chess piece, and it's like th- this mm. is right here on my desk. I mean, this this is just the kind of cool shit that I see, um, you know, trending in twenty twenty three. Definitely. I, I'm not in my normal studio. I have a bunch of NFT printouts, like you said, art, collectibles, Murakami flower toys. Yeah. Definitely, I am a big collector of that uh, of that space, NFT space, the digital space. And that leads me to my next question. And you touched on it really heavily and beyond my expectations of, you know, an individual or community member being able to diversify their investments into, you know, a, a book of music in the future. That's 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 something that. Wow, that blows my mind. Like fun, like a fundraise or a masterworks for the music catalog industry. Uh, on the on the counterpart of that, since you're a futurist and you could probably see it far in the future than I can, what's your thoughts on collateralizing um, collections on the uh, for the community? Let's say I have like your son. Let's say he has a a war chest of Fortnite skins, and there is a platform that allows him to collateralize that and leverage against it. I mean, is that a dangerous slippery slope? Where do you see? Do you, do you see people adopting that? Is that coming? I just heard of that, and I thought that was absolutely, you know, uh, mind-boggling. 
At the start of uh, what year are we in? At the start of 2022, I wrote a company manifesto for the one of executives. And I was only at the company for four months. The company wasn't that old at the time. And I told them that I felt like 2022, the year we're in now, was going to be the year for the collateralized NFT. And there are there are other platforms out there that are doing a really, really good job of, uh, you know, uh, the, of the software behind collateralizing NFTs. I am so glad that we that our that our my CEO Lynn did not listen to me. I'm so glad that we didn't go down that path. I mean, th- what mm. we see happening with collateralized lending platforms in the crypto space with Celsius, which I'm a victim of, by the right. way, um, uh, Voyager, uh, FTX, but really Celsius and BlockFi, which were the two biggest co- you know crypto lending platforms. It's really hard for me to digest that NFT lending platforms are any safer than these two platforms mm. that claim bankruptcy. There's way more vol- volatility in, in the NFT in the NFT space. There's there's considerably considerably less of an adoption pool and buyer pool for NFTs than there than there are for cryptocurrency. I mean, I think the amount of unique board ape yacht holders is like four or five thousand. The amount of unique Biggie Smalls collectors is like seventeen hundred. The amount of unique Glow Gang, which is an amazing project that we released, Uniques is like 1,200 customers. You know, the amount of people that own Bitcoin is significantly more than that. And, and, and mm-hmm. I just feel like I just feel like the collateralized NFT space. I think that there's going. I think that it, ha- it has the potential to really burn people because there's only like there's only maybe like, like 10 blue chip companies that maybe have some sort of price stability. If NFTs, if the pricing for NFTs become more stable then collateralizing NFTs just makes sense. Uh, but right now, yeah. the whole market is just is not stable uh, from crypto on down. Uh, and, and, and I would probably recommend avoiding collateralizing NFTs, either, either on the lending side of lending out, your, like lending out your NFT or borrowing against. I would just probably avoid that right now. Not financial or legal advice. Uh, like I said, at the beginning of this year, I was very <laughs> bullish on it. Because again, I'm a fan of making illiquid assets liquid. And there's really not that many NFT buyers if you look at it from from a macro level. Mm-hmm. So if I'm an NFT holder and I want to hold on my NFTs, but I needed some liquidity, maybe I want to buy Bitcoin or pay off a student loan or whatever it is, I'd like to. I certainly would love to collateralize that asset because uh, it makes it you know somewhat liquid. But the market is just too in flux right now uh, for for me to do that. Um, but I, I do have my eye right. on the collateralized lending space. Yeah, definitely. Definitely not stable right now, but maybe far in the future, that will be a thing. Yes. You, you have insight into data that no other people have. Has there been any unique data points that clients have pointed out to you or that you have seen from a well enough platform that you can share with us at all? Anything that not not normally that you would have without Web3, without blockchain? Uh, I mean, on average, I feel like Collectors try to collect two to three NFTs in a PFP collection they really like. Uh, at one of the majority, vast majority, I think it's ninety percent, or it changes probably around ninety percent, if not higher, are buying NFTs with with their credit card because we're, we're we just offer that type of solution for the clients. It's also why we're landing deals with Amex and eBay and and and, and others that we'll be announcing in in twenty twenty three because they feel like we're the easiest way for their clients to onboard into the Web three space because we've had history uh, in execution and and proven results in that space. And we're a very well-funded company, so they know that we're not going to be out of business tomorrow. Um, yeah, I mean, those are kind. Of, I guess that's the. I mean, I can't. Yeah, those are kind of the data points that I can. I guess reveal today. Yeah, now, now I'm sure there'll be a, plenty more down the road. <laughs> and for big brands that are coming in, 
in 2021, if you didn't have an NFT launch, you were, you know, not the cool kid in club. In 2022, everyone kind of shied away from it. They're not using the term NFT as much. We see that with Starbucks. We see that with Reddit. Brands now, because you work with them so much, are they rolling out a, you know, a 10-year roadmap? Are they still testing the waters? Where, where are they at? Yeah, I think testing the waters is, is, a, is a good explanation. I, I wouldn't say they're rolling out a 10-year roadmap. I say that they're trying to dip their toes in the space. Uh, there are some brands that, we, that we've spoken with where they, don't want, where they don't want their NFTs to be tradable because they don't want, they don't want to ro- mm. f- uh, um, go afoul of some sort of securities law out there. But obviously, if the NFT isn't tradable, it's not really an NFT. If it's not on blockchain, it's not really an NFT. It's essentially just a digital collectible. And I do think that we're going to see the vernacular of NFTs change. Um, I, think, I think that NFTs have somewhat of a bad connotation to it or a bad perception um, from, from the layperson outside of the Web3 space. So I can easily see companies like one of and others starting to use the term digital collectibles when really they're referring to NFTs. Uh, it's, it's, also, it's also an easier – it's also self-explanatory. Oh, digital collectible. Okay, cool. Oh, NFT. Well, what's that? You know, I'm, I'm sure your, your, your relative is like, what's an NFT? You know, but when you say digital collectible, like, oh, okay, I kind of I understand what a digital collectible is. So I just think that we're just going to be moving into, into the, change of, the change of vernacular to kind of change um, people's perceptions, you know, the, especially music artists. You know, wh- one of the things that, that I've noticed is that the collections that obviously do really, really well are original IP uh, the, the first time that they've come to life in the world is through the NFT, through an NFT platform. It, it's it's not necessarily a music artist that's looking for short short term, you know, capital gain. Whereas whereas when we pick artists to work with, we like to think that they have a year or two year vision for their digital per- personality in the Web three NFT space. What we're realizing is that most artists, quite frankly, don't. They don't want to put in the time and the effort. To get into the to get into the community, to get into the chats, to really learn about the space, they probably have some business manager or some lawyer um, telling them, "Hey, the NFT space is hot. Get in now. It may not be here in six months." They get in, they do a really cool art, a really cool campaign, but their vision is doesn't have the type of vision that, let's say, a Glow Gang collection has, or 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 the Biggie the Biggie collection that we're doing has. Um, so I like to see one of doing more projects like that. I like to see the space doing more projects focused on. IP, IP um, creators that really believe in the NFT space and understand it and are not going to go away tomorrow, that are going to put in the time to develop their brands over the course of a year, two or three years from now. Yeah, absolutely. That's projects that I would like to be a part of. And I think most collectors will want to be a part of projects that will be here for the long run and constantly engaging the community, you know, in a, in a unique way and providing benefits uh, for, for each other. That's so right. glad to hear that one of is, you know, has that foresight and looking forward to the second, third iterations or drops of NFTs, not just like a, a one-time thing or one-time cash grab. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, we, we covered a lot here, Eric. Uh, one last personal question. I see that you are the number you are the number one crypto license broker. Can you tell us about that? Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm also a licensed real estate agent. I'm the number one crypto licensed real estate agent in America. I've conducted over $20 million in transactions. And where I don't believe that anyone should be collateralizing their NFTs right now, uh, most of my uh, $20 million in real estate transactions have been done by my clients collateralizing their crypto. 
Um, so <laughs> I have a strategy that allows my clients to borrow against their cryptocurrency to leverage that first asset crypto to then buy another asset property. Uh, I was kind of the first one in the world, I think, to offer this type of solution to my clients. I don't handle the financing. What I do is I, I, I recommend solutions for them. And then as a real estate agent, I go out there and find their property. And the way I, the, the reason that I do that and the reason my clients really prefer that is, is three reasons. Number one, a lot of my clients are OG Bitcoiners. They've had Bitcoin for a very long time. So having that Bitcoin, like owning an NFT, like the original NFT, is very sentimental to them. Um, it's it's going to be very hard to get the first person who bought a board ape to sell that board ape. Like they were in early, they right. got it for I don't know ten like a hundred bucks, and and they don't want to get rid of that. It has a sentimental meaning to them. It's the same thing with Bitcoin. They don't want to get rid of it. They don't want that Bitcoin commingled anywhere else. Uh, so so they don't do it. Uh, but the major reason that my strategy works for most of my clients is that if they held big, if they bought Bitcoin when it was a thousand dollars, and most of my clients had Bitcoin when it was less than that, but if they bought Bitcoin when it's a thousand and they then used it when it was sixty thousand or sold it when it was sixty, or if they bought bananas, a haircut or property, the fifty-nine thousand dollar difference, they're paying a capital gains on that, anywhere from let's say fifteen to thirty percent. Again, not a CPA. If they held it for less than a year, they're paying thirty percent capital gains tax. If they held that gain for longer than a year, I think it's twenty percent capital gains tax or something like that. So that $1 million property, if they were using Bitcoin to buy it, they'd actually be spending $1.2 or $1.3 million when you factor in taxes. They just don't want to do that. Who does? They want to minimize their tax liability legally um, by, avoiding, by avoiding that capital gains. When you borrow against an asset, you avoid capital gains completely until you sell that asset, um, number two. Mm. Number three, and I, and I kind of touched on this, my clients believe that the biggest asset that they hold is Bitcoin. The, 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 uh, more so than the property that they may buy. So while property is historically a, a, a great wealth generator, a great wealth builder, uh, generally uh, real estate has historically gone up in value, uh, they believe that Bitcoin will go up in value more than their property in a shorter amount of time. So why would they ever mm -hmm. sell asset when they believe so much in the long-term value of Bitcoin. And my strategy allows them to, it hits all their sweet spots. They don't have to sell the crypto. They can borrow against it. They can, they can not pay capital gains on because the, they're borrowing money. They can then use that money as a down payment for a house or to pay the house off in full. My only recommendation to my clients uh, is do not over leverage your portfolios. So if you're worth 10, 20, 30, 40 million in Bitcoin, which many of my clients are, do not go buy a $20, $30 million house. Go buy mm -hmm. a modest $5 million house because when the market turns as it has from its peak, right, yes. 60 down to 19 or 19, then they won't be in a crazy margin call situation where they have to pay more Bitcoin to the crypto lender or give more Bitcoin to the crypto yep. lender uh, until, the, until the market um, kind of plays itself out. Uh, so I, I try to stay away from clients and I haven't had any – well, there's maybe one – that have really leveraged beyond probably what they should have. And again, I'm not their financial planner. I am not their CPA or their attorney. So I cannot stop mm -hmm. them from doing it. And I will obviously execute the transaction because I, I, I legally have to execute the transaction as a real estate agent. But I strongly advise them not to over collateralize. And, and what we see going on with the platforms that have gone bankrupt from FTX to Celsius to uh, BlockFi and, and who knows yeah. what else is going to happen – they were over collateralizing or under collateralizing loans. They were doing risky bets. I'm not. I'm not with all that. All that shit. Like yeah. I'm not. With, like let's yeah. let's be smart here because we have this amazing technology that is now going to be scrutinized to hell in 2023 right. because of, because of some some really smart people who made a lot of dumb 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 decisions that are unfortunately affecting a, a lot of people's livelihoods. And I, I'm not with that at all.
So, um, but yes, I, I am uh, the top real estate <laughs> agent uh, in crypto uh, in, in, in the world, quite frankly. Uh, humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we, I, tr- I truly appreciate your unique perspective here because I can tell that you don't over leverage because you've been in the space since 2015 and, and you understand the ebbs and flows of Bitcoin. And we've been through two cycles since that time and tying it with real estate that's a stable asset. I, I'm sure you understand finance more than the average person. And that's the one thing I appreciate about Web3 and NFTs. Uh, well, prior prior to getting an NFTs myself, I am uh, I'm on a fire journey, which is you know improving my financial literacy. But I really see NFTs and Web three, although it's maybe that's not what it was meant for. It's really educating the new generation about assets. Number one, leverage. Number two, even if we did not want that to be kind of like the the topic, it, it is now, right? So um, yeah, I, th- I think that this new generation is going to be poised to really, you know, propel to the next mm-hmm. level of everything that they got coming for them with mm-hmm. this, this technology. And, and again, not, not uh, financial advice, but you know what the number one strategy of investing is, is diversification. And what we see is when people have too many eggs in one basket, that basket is, is liable to break. And guess what? It has broken in the crypto space. So, um, you know, my, 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 I guess, condolences and my heart goes out to anyone that's been affected um, it, from, what's, from what's happening in the crypto space. I've personally been affected by it. But because I've diversified where I store my crypto or what other investments I have, it's mm-hmm. not going to be fortunately the death of me. And I hope it's not the death. Uh, I really mean that for, for, for anyone because we will, we will get through it. I've seen these cycles uh, in cryptocurrency. Uh, I think I think it's a little naive when people uh, t- call what's happening right now crypto winter. I think it's way more catastrophic than crypto winter. Uh, this is not something mm-hmm. that's going to be around for three or four months. This um, black eye is going to last us for a very, very, very long time. I was just watching the um, the, Sam, uh, the, the FTX Congress congressional hearing today, and uh, one of the one of the congressmen said that the Madoff. Um, Ha- scandal happened in 20 and the Madoff Ponzi scheme happened in 2008 and they wow. just started I think giving out um, some some money from that yesterday wow. so it's taken oh my gosh. 14, 14 years for some people to get a little bit of numeration from from that from that Ponzi scheme and, and I, I certainly don't think that what's happening in crypto now is going to take another 14 years to play out I certainly don't hope so but calling this crypto winter is just naive in my opinion it's like putting yeah, lipstick absolutely. on a pig. Absolutely, I think just last year we got some uh, some money back from the Mount Galax in in uh, incident as well. So, absolutely. Well, I, I truly appreciate your insight, and you're at the cutting edge. Like from music from 2016, 17 to one of you know really executing that for the artists, and they're actually seeing the benefits of that. I'm so excited to get you back a year from now. I don't know how many more hats you're going to wear then, but I think you're going to be on the cutting edge then as well. I'll, I'll still be at one of, and I'll still be a real estate agent. That much I know. <laughs> awesome. It was a pleasure having you, Eric. I'd love to have you back and I'd love to um, definitely talk NFTs whenever you want to. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Um, I, I'd love your, your listeners to follow me on social media. It's Eric Answerman with a K. So E-R-I-K. A-N-S-W-E-R-M-A-N uh, on Instagram and Twitter and also follow uh, my company um, or the company I work for, One of NFT, O-N-E-O-F-N-F-T on Twitter and Instagram. Yep, I'll definitely put it all the links down on the show notes below. Thank you so much, Eric, for joining us. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me.